Hello and welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Jackson, and it's my mission to share the science of human behaviour in a practical, fun and inspiring way. In each podcast episode, I interview an expert from the fields of psychology, well-being, leadership, parenting or high performance. I pick their brain to uncover what they know about living well, what tips do they have for you and I, and I quiz them about how they apply their expertise in their own life. Join me as we discover simple, science-backed ways to live, learn, flourish, and fulfil your potential. Hello, and welcome back to the Potential Psychology Podcast. This is episode 69, and we're talking procrastination. But before I get to that, not procrastinating, I promise. This episode is brought to you by the Wellbeing Evidence and Horizons Conference, which is taking place in Melbourne on the 28th and 29th of April 2020. Now, I have been talking about the Wellbeing Evidence and Horizons Conference all season because they are our wonderful partner for this season. And I've no doubt mentioned during that time that the conference itself has been established to explore health, happiness and buoyancy. So we're exploring the science of what works and what doesn't to keep us well and to help us thrive. But that word buoyancy is one that we haven't talked about much here on the show or perhaps at all. What on earth is buoyancy when it comes to human beings? Well, it doesn't mean that we float, not in this context anyway. Buoyancy in positive psychology has emerged from the positive education research where it's often referred to as academic buoyancy and it refers to a student's ability to successfully deal with setbacks and challenges and the kind of struggles I suppose that are typical of academic and school life. So exams and deadlines and juggling multiple commitments and sometimes failure or not meeting expectations our own or others. And we know that buoyant students have what we call a short and safe term view of these sorts of setbacks and stress and challenge. They tend to see them as temporary and non-threatening. So a bad mark for a buoyant student highlights an area for improvement. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to spiral off into thinking that they're going to fail the entire class or the entire subject. It's short term and it's just a safe view. So they tend not to go overwhelmed by working to stressful and competing deadlines because, again, they see them as temporary. They know that this is tough right now, but it won't last forever. So instead of becoming kind of overwhelmed and drowning, they get themselves organised and they stay on top of their workload and they just get it done. So it's really a mindset thing and along the same lines as a growth mindset, a set of beliefs about yourself and the world that are helpful. And the interesting thing about buoyancy is that the research is now suggesting that the same mindset translates well from school and studies to work. So a kid who can conquer a buoyant mindset in school and maybe university can transfer that into the world of work and all the juggling that comes with professional and working life. So pretty cool stuff. And if you're interested in this idea of buoyancy, you might like to pop along to the Wellbeing Evidence and Horizons Conference in April next year to explore it a bit further. The early bird registration for the conference is still available. Okay, so I've got a little off track there, but buoyancy is a really interesting topic. But now it's time to talk about today's episode. And it is just me here today, no guest, 
because this is my solo episode for the season. I went all brave new world last season with a solo episode on motivation. And not only was it not nearly as difficult as I imagined to pull off a solo episode, but you loved it, which I know because you told me so. I've had lots of lovely feedback on that particular episode. So I'm doing it all again. And this time we're talking about procrastination. Why? Because we all do it in some way, shape or form. And it's a topic that I talk about a lot in both one-on-one coaching sessions and also in group workplace education sessions that I run, because it's something that a lot of my clients are challenged by. They're frustrated by it. They don't understand why they do it and they want to stop. And I think we can probably all relate to that. It's not just them, it's all of us. And also because a year or so ago, or maybe more, I thought it would be fun to immerse myself in the procrastination research that has emerged over the past 25 years, because someone has to. So here's what we're going to cover over the next half an hour or so, maybe more, I'm not sure. Firstly, what is procrastination from a psychological point of view? Because it might not be exactly what you think it is. And perhaps when you think you're procrastinating, you might not be, which might be good news. Secondly, why do we do it? Because it's kind of bonkers, isn't it? It is self-defeating behaviour. So why on earth do we do it? We will explore that. We will address a few myths about procrastination. So that belief that you have about how you work best in the final hours before a deadline, that may not be true. And finally, we'll look at the all-important question, how do you stop procrastinating? Is it even possible? And if so, how? Okay, let's go. So procrastination is an issue for everyone, whether you're a working parent or a leader or a manager in a workplace or you're self-employed or you're a student it's often a problem for students, or you're a stay-at-home parent, we all struggle at times with the tendency to put off doing something that we know or feel we should be doing. And for about 20% of us, procrastination actually reaches chronic proportions. So this is not an innocuous issue in a kind of, oh, I'm such a chronic procrastinator way. For this 20%, not only do they consistently underperform relative to their capabilities as a result of their procrastination because they leave everything to the last minute, but they suffer emotionally. Their well-being suffers. They're racked with feelings of guilt and there's a lot of self-flagellation that goes on. So for the chronic procrastinator, it's a pretty miserable and emotionally unhealthy place to be. So it has an impact on well-being. But what do psychologists mean when they talk about procrastination? Is it what you and I mean when we talk about procrastination? Well, the definition that I like best is a habitual or intentional delay of starting or finishing a task despite knowing it might have negative consequences. And that's the important bit right there at the end, despite knowing it might have negative consequences. Because there's many things that we put off doing that don't actually have negative consequences. I might put off vacuuming the house, and while that might mean an accumulation of grotty mess that annoys me, it's not really a negative consequence. It's just an annoyance that other people probably don't even notice. So that's not really procrastination. That's an issue of my expectations of myself, and I can shift those expectations 
might take a little bit of mental gymnastics, but I can remind myself that I'm busy or I'm tired or I have other priorities that I need to attend to. And that if the vacuuming doesn't get done right now or today or even this week, it doesn't really matter. So the experts in procrastination, psychologists who study this stuff will tell you that putting off something that doesn't have particularly negative consequences or that you can reprioritize because you have other commitments and priorities and sleep and rest and downtime are definitely priorities as far as your well-being is concerned, then that's not procrastination. It's just delay. Yeah, not procrastination, just delay. Now, this might seem like semantics, you know, how does it help to call it delay rather than procrastination? Isn't the activity the same or lack of activity the same? Well, it helps because of what goes on in our mind. So we tend to make negative judgments about procrastination. If I asked you if procrastination was good or bad or helpful or unhelpful, you'd probably say that it's bad and it's unhelpful. Yeah, most of us would. That's the view we take of it, that it's something we shouldn't do. But if I asked you if delay was good or bad or helpful or unhelpful, you'd probably say it depends. What am I delaying and why? So we're so much more likely to be flexible and open-minded when it comes to delay and much less harsh on ourselves. And that's better for our emotional well-being. We don't judge ourselves as harshly. So we don't end up in that kind of messy quagmire of guilt and self-recrimination that neither helps get things done or makes us feel good, makes us feel unhappy and irritable. So there's some kind of nuance there in the difference between considering it procrastination and considering it something that we've just delayed. And we give ourselves the option, if we say it's just delay, to say, well, I've just delayed it, I'll get on with it. Whereas if we say it's procrastination, we tend to get kind of bogged down in a bit of a negative thinking loop, which I'll go into shortly. Okay. So what if there are negative consequences or the task can't be delayed because there's a deadline, but you still delay getting started or you leave it until the last minute and your stress levels rise, but you still don't do anything about it except get anxious and really cross with yourself. Or as a coaching client said to me recently, I say I'm going to do it, but then I don't. And I know I'm not doing it while I'm not doing it. And I'm already feeling bad about it. And I still don't do it. What is going on with that? And what is going on with that? Because that is procrastination and we all do it at times and it's self-defeating and it's kind of bonkers. It's like we're somehow trying to undermine our own best efforts and that makes absolutely no logical sense. But we all do it sometimes on some tasks and some of us do it pretty persistently on a lot of tasks. And this is where it gets interesting because there are a couple of schools of thought within the social sciences when it comes to procrastination. Generally speaking, the economists tend to favour a theory that says that when we're procrastinating, we're kind of mentally calculating what they call the utility or usefulness of our activities. And we tend to assign more value in the moment to the pleasurable ones, like watching Netflix, over the tougher tasks, like doing our tax returns. But as the deadline approaches, we flip it and we start to add more value to doing the tax return and less value to watching Netflix. And that changes our behaviour. It prompts us to get on with things, which is why we procrastinate less or we move into action as a deadline approaches. 
So that makes some logical sense. And it does suggest that procrastination can be overcome by better time management. So making and prioritising lists of tasks or things like eating the frog by doing your toughest task first at the beginning of the day and accountability buddies and all of those productivity and time management tips that are so available to us all, all the time. You know, they should work then, shouldn't they? If this is just an issue of awareness of the tasks and how we value our time. And sometimes they do, often they do. But they don't work with the tasks that we tend to procrastinate about over and over again, or during the periods of our life or our day or our week or our month when we most often procrastinate, like when we're tired or sad or overwhelmed. And they may not ever work if you're one of those 20% who make up the chronic procrastinators who find themselves procrastinating over everything. You know, there's no logicking or time managing your way out of those situations. They persist despite us knowing that it's not good use of our time. So the psychologist noticed two things about true problematic procrastination. One, that it is completely resistant to logic. It makes no sense. And two, that it comes with feelings. So feelings of guilt and shame and anxiety that are all triggered by the conscious or unconscious decision to delay a task despite knowing that there's negative consequences. And those might be things like not doing as well on an exam because you tried to cram all your study into the last few hours or producing a report or a presentation that's subpar because you didn't allocate enough time to it or getting fined by the tax department because you didn't lodge your tax return. And feelings play an important part in all of this behaviour. And leading procrastination researcher and Carleton University psychology professor, Dr. Tim Pitchell, along with Dr. Fuchsia Siroy from the University of Sheffield, got interested in this and they researched it and they developed the mood repair theory of procrastination, which has been really well studied now. And it proposes that we don't procrastinate because we're avoiding a task. We procrastinate to feel better. Or as I like to say, we're not avoiding a task, we're avoiding a feeling. And when we procrastinate, we avoid tasks because they're unpleasant for whatever reason. So maybe they're boring or they make us feel anxious or resentful or they create lots of self-doubt and we just don't want to deal with those feelings. And that's just where these feelings come in. So to give you a couple of examples, personal examples, I procrastinate when it comes to writing and creating content like this podcast even though I actually love writing and creating content, particularly for this podcast. And why do I procrastinate? Because there's always a little voice that says, I want this to be great, really excellent. And what if it's not? What if I can't make it great? What if I write it and it's crappy and boring? That'll be really upsetting. I'll be really disappointed in myself and I'll doubt my abilities and the natural consequence, therefore, is to avoid doing it because if I don't do it, then I can't be disappointed, can I? It's completely illogical on one hand, but it actually makes perfect sense in some ways too. I'm just avoiding having to feel, I'm avoiding having that doubt or that bit of anxiety. And if I don't engage in the task, then that all goes away. So it shapes my behaviour until either the deadline draws closer or I have a good hard talk to myself and just get on with it. And we're going to explore what that looks like shortly too. So that's one 
way in which I procrastinate in which I've noticed that the feelings play a part. And another personal example is the feeling of resentment. So there are tasks that I need to do, usually paperwork and tick the box compliance type stuff that I always procrastinate over. In fact, there is some paperwork that I should have attended to that I've actually avoided for years. And I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm not going to dog myself in. But rest assured, it contributes to a bit of mental clutter of, you know, I really should do that, that sits in the back of my head because it's been lingering around for so long. And then I push that aside, even though they're not doing the paperwork could have significant negative consequences. So this is classic procrastination. And when I first started learning about this mood repair theory of procrastination, I realised that the feeling I was avoiding in those situations was a resentment. I resent using my time to complete tasks that add absolutely no value to me. I don't care that this paperwork is done or not done. Other people might care, but to be honest, I'm not sure that anybody else really cares either. You know, it really feels to me just like jumping through unnecessary bureaucratic hoops. And I personally resent sacrificing my time for that. And I don't like feeling resentful, so I just avoid it and get on with something else that feels more productive. And this has been going on, I admit, for years. (laughs) But the ridiculous thing is that by not doing it, I might feel better in the moment but it actually contributes to me feeling more and more guilt over time because I'm also a very conscientious person and I don't like not complying with the rules. So now I've got this whole mixed up set of uncomfortable feelings that I also don't like feeling and I'm avoiding those as well. And of course, logically, if I just did the paperwork, I could make all of those feelings go away and future me could relax and feel satisfied that I ticked it off. But in the moment, present me just can't bear to dig it all out and struggle the resentment of doing a boring, pointless, time-consuming task. So I find that future me is just going to have to continue to suffer a kind of low-level guilt so that present me can avoid a spike in resentment. I hope that makes some sense. I'm hoping you can relate in some way because otherwise I've just revealed the complicated inner workings of my mind for nothing. But anyway, so essentially we give in to feel good as Tim Pitchell says. It's not a failure of time management, but a failure of what psychologists call self-regulation. So we fail to regulate or manage our behaviour to achieve our goals because the feelings get in the way. And at its core, this is the same self-regulation fail that takes place when we eat more than we should or drink more than we should or spend money that we don't have. You know, the needs of present us to feel good takes precedent over the need for future us to achieve our goal of saving or weight loss or avoiding a hangover, maybe. And if we use the immortal words of Homer Simpson, that's a problem for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. So for chronic procrastinators, this short-term mood repair becomes a habit that can take precedence over pretty much everything else. It's a really kind of difficult, stuck type behaviour that until we start to understand it, it's really difficult to overcome. Okay, so it's time for a little recap because this is complicated stuff, I think. What do we know so far? Well, we know that procrastination is not necessarily about managing our time well, but about not managing or regulating our behaviour well. We know that when we're procrastinating, we're not avoiding a task, but avoiding a feeling. 
And we know that like most things about being human, it is complex. But the good news is that there are strategies that help us to overcome many of these complexities. But before we get into that practical stuff and the strategies and tips for overcoming procrastination, so how you're going to fix it, if you will, we're going to step it up a notch and get a little bit existential because there are times when we don't have a hard deadline or there's no obvious negative consequences, but procrastination is still a problem because as Professor Pitchell says, procrastination can be a problem of not getting on with life itself. So we all have big goals in life. You might want to start a business, have a family, write a novel, travel, buy a house. And there's lots of little steps that we take towards conquering each of these goals. And these little steps and the big goals contribute to a sense of achievement in life and a sense of meaning and purpose. And these in turn contribute to our well-being. We know this from lots of positive psychology research now. And when we procrastinate over the little steps that lead to the big goals, if these things stay on your one-day list forever, then we're really missing out on opportunities to thrive and flourish and live our best lives, aren't we? We're kind of putting life off. And I don't think that's good for us. I don't think that is living our best selves or being our best selves or living our best lives. And I find this conversation gets really tricky because we're often exhorted, including here on this podcast, to live mindfully, to live in the moment and not worry too much about the future. And now I'm saying don't procrastinate on the important things for your future either if you want to thrive or flourish. So live in the moment but also think about the future, yeah? I like to think of it You know, it is a dilemma, but I like to think of this dilemma as a kind of dance where you're stepping back and forth between enjoying the moment and not getting caught up in anxiety or unhelpful anxiety about the future, but you're also staying conscious of and taking action towards your goals. So you're both being in the moment and focusing on the future at the same time, stepping backwards and forwards between these two modes of thinking and two modes of being. And that's where the joy is, that's where the well-being is. And this is the kind of stuff that my coaching clients and I work through in our one-on-one session. So how do they dance their dance, their individual dance to maximise their flourishing, to achieve their goals and minimise their worry at the same time, not get caught up in the anxiety, but to keep moving forward in order to live their best lives and be their best selves. So I do have a tip I know that that gets a little existential, but I do have a tip for this particular procrastination challenge because I think it is a challenge. I don't, I don't think any of us want to be putting off life and yet it can be so easy to find ourselves doing that. So if you find yourself beating yourself up for not getting on with life, not making progress on your big goals, it can be helpful to try and reframe your story around that. So instead of beating yourself up and say, I need to stop procrastinating on this, Reframe it as I have the opportunity to get on with my goals in life because I need to stop procrastinating is a really unhelpful and unmotivating and non-specific kind of demand that we're making of ourselves. It doesn't tell us what we should do and it's a bit of a downer. Whereas 
stating it as I have the opportunity to get on with my goals in life, that starts to pull you forward. It's what we call an approach goal and it's much more positive and motivating, especially when you take, and this is the important step, you take the next step and outline what those goals are and what the steps are to attain them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that there won't be times when you need to pre-prioritize or tasks and steps will, you know, won't take longer than you'd like them to, or other things don't get in the way because that is life. You know, life is filled with delay, both voluntary and involuntary. But if you berate yourself for your delay, you're far less likely to get on with it. If you see it as opportunity and free yourself up just to say, right, this is what I want to do. And these are the steps I've got to take to do it, that starts to become far more motivating. And this brings me to one of the most fascinating antidotes to procrastination. And it's self-compassion. It's actually being kind to yourself. So often many of us get stuck in a loop of procrastination because when we do it, we get angry and frustrated and we're really kind of mean to ourselves. We allow that inner voice to tell us that we're hopeless, that we're being bad when we procrastinate, that our procrastination is some kind of ugly character flaw and that we somehow should be punished for our behaviour. So it's kind of thinking that we go through. And these thoughts actually have a name. They're called procrastinatory cognitions. So ruminatory self-blaming and ultimately unhelpful thoughts about ourselves. And they actually keep us stuck in the procrastination loop. So we procrastinate on a task, whether it's a practical task or one of these big getting on with life, achieving our goals tasks, and we feel bad about it. And we say terrible things to ourselves, like you're hopeless, you're useless, what do you think you're doing? You'll never make any progress, you'll never achieve that goal. And that makes us feel worse. So then we try to distract ourselves from those feelings with something that makes us feel better which might be Netflix or scrolling on our phone or even cleaning the house, if that's both a distraction for you and it makes you feel like you've achieved something. But ultimately, even though you might be feeling better in the moment, you still haven't achieved the task that you're procrastinating procrastinating over. You still haven't made any progress on the goals. But What the researchers have discovered, what is now considered to be like the top cure for procrastination or certainly a top cure for procrastination, it's not this kind of beating yourself up for not doing it or somehow punishing yourself for not getting on with things. It's actually the complete opposite. So it's not punishment, it's forgiveness. So when we acknowledge that we're human, and that being human is messy sometimes, and that's a key component of what's called self-compassion, this idea of common humanity, that we're all in it together. I'm just as human as you and you're just as human as me, and we all have our foibles. (laughs) And if we forgive ourselves for our procrastination, it breaks this cycle. So rather than getting stuck in this negative self-defeating loop, it allows us to move past what psychologists call maladaptive behaviour or unhelpful behaviour and thinking and to focus on the future, which frees us up to do the task. So it's a really liberating breaking of this cycle. So you might be a little bit dubious listening to this. (laughs) It's like I can hear you thinking, nah, this is not going to work for me. can't be that easy. And I have to say, it's not a miracle cure, you know, particularly for chronic procrastination, but it does absolutely help. 
And I know because I have been practicing this myself for some time now. And I can tell you that while I might still delay starting some tasks because I feel a bit inadequate or I'm avoiding feeling resentful or frustrated, when I practice forgiveness and talk to myself kindly and acknowledge that I'm just a human and that I don't always get it right, I'm far more likely to kind of shrug, take a deep breath and say, right, let's just get on with it, shall we? Rather than ending up in that self-defeating loop of recrimination and blame and avoidance. So it's a really, really helpful practice, both according to the research, but also just according to experience, certainly my experience. So worth a try, I reckon. So this brings us to the tip section. You know, what do we actually do? What are some of the strategies that the research has uncovered or revealed that helps us to reduce our procrastination? Well, forgiveness is an important first step. So you can start with that. And then we can follow up with a few practical strategies. And strategy one is to explore and name the underlying feeling. So what feeling is it that you're avoiding? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it resentment? Is it boredom? Is it self-doubt? Is it something else? Can be really helpful to make a list of the tasks that you tend to procrastinate over the most and your feelings about those tasks and then to look for some patterns. You know, do you always procrastinate over the same types of tasks or different tasks but they have the same underlying feeling that comes up for you? And this helps because in a kind of related but unrelated area of psychology that looks at the power of feelings and emotions and the power that they have over us, we've learned that when we can label an unpleasant feeling, so name it as anger or sadness or self-doubt or boredom or resentment, not just feel it but give it a label, it loses some of its power over us. And if MRI scans, functional MRI scans, have actually shown a reduction in the activity in the feeling centres of the brain when we do this. So they get people to actually label their feelings while their head's in an MRI machine and they're looking at what's going on in the brain and and they can see there's a reduction in the activity in these feeling centres when we're actually able to give out less helpful emotions or unpleasant emotions a feeling. So it's kind of like we're able to take this feeling And when we give it a label, it's like we can almost hold it in our hands and look at it from a different perspective. Rather than it being all caught up in our heads and our bodies, we've externalised that. We can look at it and realise that it doesn't control us. We control it. So that's tip one. Just try labelling the feelings. Tip two is to strengthen what's called your goal intention. So why the goal or the action that you're procrastinating over is important to you and the benefits of acting now rather than later. So it's a bit of a kind of a pros and cons type scenario or activity. And I do this with household tasks, just mentally. I don't have to write a list. It's just a conversation I have with myself. Often I'm looking at the pile of washing and thinking, I really don't want to put that washing away. But keeping the house tidy and running smoothly so that everyone, including me, can find what they're looking for when they need it. That is important to me. Yeah, so that's the underlying importance of the task or the goal. And I know that if I put off putting the washing away in order to feel better now because I just don't want to do it, I'm actually not going to want to do it anymore later when I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I'm going to want to do it less 
And I'm going to be feeling even more frustrated if I don't do it at all and I get up in the morning and we've got school runs and everyone getting ready for work and what have you and it's still there and we can't find anything. So I may as well just make a start on it now. Do you see what I mean? I'm actually looking at it and in the moment of looking at it, I'm having this conversation with myself that says, okay, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to want to do it less later. And the benefit to me of doing it is we will be organised, everyone will know where everything is and our day will run more smoothly tomorrow. And I'm not going to want to do it more later. Let's just get on with that. So it's a bit of a mental gymnastics, but it works. So that's called your goal intention. So strengthening your goal intention. Think about why the goal is important to you or the action is important to you and the benefits of acting now rather than later. So have a go at that when you next find yourself procrastinating. And a third strategy that really works, particularly if perfectionism is getting in your way, and I know that's the case for a lot of us, and it's what's called a first sloppy step. So sometimes we procrastinate because we become so overwhelmed about having to complete a huge, whole, massive, time-consuming task or project, or we're worried about not doing it well or doing it perfectly. And so we just avoid making a start at all because it's too hard. But when we give ourselves permission to just take a first sloppy step, then we've made a start. Yeah. And the funny thing about motivation is that it often doesn't come before we start a task. In fact, except with the most intrinsic of motivation, it rarely comes before we start a task. Motivation actually comes when we start the task. So getting started, even if it's just a first sloppy step, gets the ball rolling. And again, I practice this and I've told many of my clients this, you know, sometimes if I've got a report to write or an article to write or there's something that I'm avoiding doing, I will tell myself that the first step I need to take is just to open the document. Yeah, break it down to something as small as that. Just sit at your desk and open the document. Don't worry about anything that comes after that. Just do that. And of course, once I do it, I start to go, okay, I'll reread what I wrote before. Okay, maybe that's not so bad. And, you know, the ball is rolling, the motivation is coming and the task is getting done. It's often just that first little step that we need to take. So consider it a first sloppy step and give your permission just to do that and see what happens. Okay, so that's a few tips for working your way through procrastination. There are lots more, but we don't have all the time in the world today. So they're my top tips for the moment. And I promised you a bit of myth busting as well. So here's a couple of myths around procrastination. Myth one is I'll feel more like doing this tomorrow. And we've all said that. But it's more than likely that you won't feel more like doing it tomorrow. So we're putting things off, justifying it to ourselves and saying, I'm just, I'm going to be in a better space to do this tomorrow because we're all supremely confident that future us will be better prepared, better capable, uh, more emotionally ready to take on tasks that present us can't face right now. But remember that future you is still just you, yeah, just a little further through time. So unless you're actually taking steps to learn more or prepare or even to get a good night's sleep so that you're emotionally more resilient tomorrow, in which case, if you're doing any of those three things, you're not actually procrastinating, you are taking action, then nothing's going to change. And you're more than likely going to continue procrastinating until those negative consequences start to loom really large. So don't think you're going to feel more like doing it tomorrow. You probably won't. Myth two 
is I work better when I'm under pressure. And we've all told ourselves that too at times. And you may be utterly convinced that it's the case. But unfortunately, the research says that it's very much more likely that you don't perform better in the final hours before a deadline. In fact, a meta-analysis of procrastination research, so that's an analysis of all of the available research on the topic, has shown that procrastination is never helpful and it's usually harmful to our task performance. We just cannot perform at our best if we don't give ourselves enough time. You might perform well enough, so you might pass the exam or get the report done, but what might you have done if you'd really given yourself a chance? And myth three, and then again, plenty more I could cover, but we don't have the time, is that technology has made procrastination worse. So you'll hear people argue that, that we're all procrastinating more and more and we're more distracted from what we should be doing due to our smartphones and Netflix and all of the other temptations of the digital age. But in fact, from a psychological point of view, our behaviour hasn't changed at all over time. Technology just gives us more excuses. So alarm clocks have been around for over 60 years. We've been hitting the snooze button on alarm clocks for over 60 years. And I'm pretty sure that human beings have been procrastinating really since the beginning of time. We use technology as an excuse, but it's really just another way to avoid dealing with our behaviour and our feelings and what needs to change in order to make us more more productive. Okay, so I hope you've enjoyed my little foray into procrastination and that there are some tips in there that you're going to try, maybe make it a goal for 2020. It's a new year and a new decade to put these tips into practice and procrastinate less, not only to get things done, but probably more importantly, to feel better, to feel well, to feel happy and to allow yourself to get on with getting on with life and fulfilling your potential. If you'd like to learn more about procrastination, I've put a heap of resources in the show notes for this episode. Rather than give you 25 years of academic papers, (laughs) um, which I could, but I won't, I've given you the links to more readable articles that I think do the best job of summarising the important points from the research. There's also a link to Tim Pitchell's podcast, which is called I Procrastinate, which is excellent. It's not current. I don't think he's doing it anymore, but there's a, a lot of past content there to listen and learn from. And you may also want to take a look at a very entertaining summary of everything we've covered today, including a laugh or many. I certainly laugh quite a bit and I've seen it a few times now. Check out Tim Urban's TED Talk. It's called Inside the Mind of a Procrastinator. I've put a link in the show notes. And Tim Urban writes the Wait But Why blog that I know I've mentioned before on the show and I'm a big fan. And this TED Talk is hilarious and it's extremely relatable if you've ever procrastinated. A big thank you to the Wellbeing Evidence and Horizons Conference for partnering with us to bring you this episode and this season of the Potential Psychology Podcast. Remember to check them out at weh.org.au. And if you enjoyed this episode of the show and you think others might benefit from it too, please share it around. One of my goals for 2020 is to really grow our audience. And if you can help me with that, I'll love you forever. Tell your friends, send them the link to the show or this episode grab hold of their phone and show them how to find a podcast app and then search for the show and subscribe for them. Whatever you need to do, I will be exceptionally grateful for. 
And finally, join us in the Potential Psychology Podcast Facebook group to chat further about this episode. Maybe share your procrastination stories so that we can all rejoice in our common humanity and remind ourselves that we are all human and subject to human foibles. We all do this, but also we can all overcome it. Pop over to Facebook, search the Potential Psychology Podcast, hit join, and I will welcome you in the door. Next week is our final episode for this season, and we're getting merry just in time for Christmas. I will be chatting to Emma and Carla Pappas, otherwise known as the Merrymaker Sisters. And they are the founders of Merry Body, an online yoga and Pilates studio, and the creators of Get Merry, which is a wildly popular recipe app. They're lifelong entrepreneurs and two of the most positive people you will ever meet. So it's going to be a fun and funny and inspiring and positive way to finish the season and to lead us into the Christmas and holiday break. So join me for that. It's next week, episode 70 of the show. Can you believe? I can't believe that. But in the meantime, stay safe, go forth and thrive, flourish and fulfill your potential. Potential.